The following sermon is by Thomas Newlin. It is called The Handwriting Upon the Wall. Daniel 5:27. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. This was one dreadful part of the interpretation of the handwriting upon the wall in the palace of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. At the sight of the hand which wrought upon the plaster of the wall, the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. Verses 5 and 6. The king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, were drinking in the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple which was at Jerusalem, Daniel 5, 3. They forgot to give praise and honor to him that liveth forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and whose kingdom is from generation to generation, Daniel 4.34. And instead of the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and whose ways are judgment, and who is able to abase all those that walk in pride, verse 37, they praise the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone, Daniel 5.4. In the midst of this luxury, this ingratitude, this idolatry, the same great and terrible God that had driven Nebuchadnezzar from man and forced him to eat grass with the ox, and afterwards restored him to his glory and established him in his kingdom, Daniel 4, 32 and 36, was pleased to rebuke the impious Belshazzar for neglecting the remarkable admonition and example that was set before him. And in the same hour, Daniel 5, 5, in which he gave up himself to his sinful pleasures and wantonly defiled his bountiful benefactor, the handwriting struck a damp upon all his enjoyments and stirred up his thoughts to perplex and accuse him. There was no one so present that could read the writing or show the interpretation thereof, Daniel 5, 8, but his conscience told him that appointed to him and chiefly concerned himself. And he was like a troubled sea till he sent for Daniel, in whom there was an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding to show the interpretation, verse 12. But the faithful Daniel could yield him no relief. He could only confirm and explain the unacceptable tidings which his guilty conscience and his ill-boding apprehension brought him. He constrained him to reflect, though the reflection was grievous to him, that when the heart of his father Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up and his mind was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and appointed over it whomsoever he would. And that he, his careless and ungrateful son, had not humbled his heart, though he knew all this and had not glorified the God in whose hand his breath was, and whose were all his ways. 
Therefore, says he, was a part of the hand sent from him. And this is a writing that was written, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Daniel 5.20 and so on. What a shocking consideration was this, that notwithstanding his greatness and power, he was found wanting, and that after he was stripped of all his pomp and state, he would have nothing to recommend him to a just and righteous God, but would be called to give an account of the impious abuse of the important trust. This teaches us a very useful lesson, that there is a God that tries and searches the heart and weighs all our actions in the balance of impartial justice, that has no respect of persons, and does not esteem us for the multitude of things that we possess, or the splendor of anything that is great, but principally regards the use that we make of his bounty, and the degrees of his improvement in righteousness and virtue, and how much soever the glittering show of riches and honor may engage the admiration of mankind, yet religion is of infinitely greater moment. Without this, everything that the world can bestow upon us will not at all avail us, for in the sight of God the nations are as a drop of the bucket, and are counted as a small dust of the balance, and he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Isaiah 40.15 And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing without religion. This should incline us to remember that we are but sinful dust and ashes, and whatsoever we are possessed of will add nothing to us unless we use it to the glory of God. We shall be found wanting even in the midst of those flattering objects that gratify our pride, our avarice, our ambition. And when these are passed away, we shall become the most wretched, contemptible creatures, and be rejected of God as the dregs and offscouring of all things. If, therefore, we have any regard to God's approbation, we must give religion the preference to everything, since that alone will recommend us to his favor. If we value even our present happiness, we must endeavor so to live that it may not be lessened by the severe reflections of a guilty conscience. And if we have any concern for our future welfare, we must make such a provision for ourselves as will be our stay and support when all earthly things are consumed. Let us therefore consider first that we should employ the talents which God has given us in His service and to His honor. Secondly, that unless we make this improvement of them, we cannot truly enjoy them in this world. And thirdly, that the abuse of them will rise in judgment against us in the world which is to come. And first, we are to consider that we should employ the talents which God has given us in His service and to His honor. The circumstances of Belshazzar were indeed almost peculiar to himself, and amidst all the portions of greatness which are allotted to the sons of men, there is hardly any that can equal that measure of riches and height of glory which he profanely abused to the dishonor of his Maker. 
But yet the fall of this great man is an admonition to us in every condition of life, and though our stations are widely different, yet his case, as well as all other things that were written aforetime, was written for our learning. Romans 15.4 The lowest and the meanest of us is possessed of some advantages upon which he values himself, and did he value himself aright, he would endeavor to improve them to the glory of the author and giver of every gift, and to the happiness of his immortal soul. For it is not to be imagined that the God of wisdom should furnish him with a power of doing good for no end or purpose, and shed his bounty upon his creatures, only that they might take their pastime in this world and yield up themselves to trifling and vanity. Neither is it reasonable to suppose that a creature which is formed for no endless duration should regard no more than his present transitory state and look no further than the immediate gratification of his idle, foolish, sinful inclinations. We may be assured that the Lord that gave his servant five talents expected that he should trade with the same and make them other five talents and that he distributed to every man according to his several ability, Matthew twenty-five fifteen, with the design that he should answer his kindness with a suitable return. And if the sense of what we possess, or the prospect of more, can encourage us to do our duty, certainly we shall strive to attain to God's future favor by expressing our gratitude for His present blessings. For what can be more desirable than that commendation, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Matthew twenty-five twenty-three. How wonderful is the goodness of God that pours his gifts upon us that we may qualify ourselves for larger measures of his bounty by making a right use of them. And how happy is a man that uses them as a means of letting his light shine before men and glorifying his Father which is in heaven, Matthew 5.16. With what satisfaction will he look back upon his past conduct when he reaps an eternal inheritance from the prudent improvement of uncertain honors and corruptible riches? And how shall we ever sufficiently applaud his wisdom, who is rich in good works, and delights chiefly to abound in righteousness? And I think it may not be improper for us to consider the several opportunities which mankind enjoy of rendering their present condition subservient to their future interest. For every one has a proper sphere in which he is ordained to move, and in that he is capable of serving his Creator, of being beneficial to his brethren, and of promoting the welfare of his own soul. Those in the highest ranks and fortunes have indeed the greatest power, and like the heavenly bodies may shed their kindly influence upon those beneath them. But we that are far below may yet answer the important purposes of an all-wise God, like the inferior works of the creation, none of which were made in vain. The capacities of the great are not unworthy our consideration, since they will raise a noble emulation in us, and excite our utmost endeavors to reach after them. 
How large and pleasant a prospect is open to the man whom God has placed in an exalted station and entrusted with a plentiful share of the blessings of this life. He is able to assert the cause of God, to promote religion in a corrupt and degenerate age, to recommend it to all his dependents, to invite them into the path of the just by the shining light. Proverbs 4.18 Of a good example and to discountenance vice and profaneness by his authority. He can act in the stead of God and be a father to the fatherless and maintain the cause of the widow. He can raise a dejected spirit, support a thinking family, and come into their relief in the critical juncture and guard against their approaching calamity. And in short, he can resemble God in that beloved attribute, his goodness, and at once copy after the divine nature and enjoy the sincerest pleasures of humanity, for he can gratify every noble desire and answer the generous purposes of friendship. The bare mention of his power and of the several instances in which it can exert itself is enough to transport every one that has any sense of gratitude to God, any regard to virtue, any value for that amiable quality which bears a delightful name of good nature. And I wish that all whom God has made the stewards of his bounty would remember the end for which they received that important trust, and that instead of prostituting his gifts to sin and folly and abusing them to their own and his dishonor, they would employ them in the service of God and to the advantage of their country, their friends, and their immortal souls. And we ought not to envy them those opportunities which they enjoy, and which we seem to lack, for in the lower conditions of life there are also means of doing good. And if we are disposed to do it, we may pass our time of sojourning here with comfort and satisfaction, and improve those talents that are delivered to us to the honor of religion, and to the great ends of friendship and charity." and even those that are engaged in the servile offices of life and go forth to their work and labor till the evening, Psalm 104.23, may also dedicate themselves to the service of God and promote their own interest in the common welfare. And the man that begs for the blessing of God upon all his undertakings and resolves to do justice to everyone and to make an honest provision for his family is an object worthy of admiration and esteem, for the holy angels behold him with pleasure, and God himself looks down upon him with approbation. He builds upon a rock, and that integrity which accompanies him through all his labors is a strong cement to preserve his small portion of riches unshaken. He leaves a sure inheritance to his children's children, and provides one for himself which no time can decay, no moth nor rust can corrupt, Matthew 6.20, and when he comes before God he will find that his honest principles will stand him in greater stead than all the riches of the world could have done, and though he was not possessed of those things which are now thought the marks of honor, yet he will be truly esteemed in the sight of God, and he will not be found wanting. How happily our riches improve when they are made instruments to the business of religion and borrow a new luster from it while they seem to give credit to it. How commendable is the choice of the man that chooses the one thing needful, and while he has everything that is desirable in this life, possesses that also which will be eternally valuable in the other.
And how glorious also is a man who, though he has no pomp or state to attract the eyes of the people, but is placed in the despised circumstances of poverty, is yet adorned with those excellent qualities that will raise him to the highest honor and give him a name above every name that the world can give. Religion, therefore, is a principal thing, and this is the end we ought to aim at in all conditions of life, for this will render us happy in the lowest state, and without this we cannot be happy in the highest. And our present interest obliges us to dedicate the good things of this life to the service of religion, for, secondly, unless we make this improvement of them, we cannot truly enjoy them in this world. Common experience teaches us that there is no lasting pleasure or satisfaction to be found in those flattering objects that now surround us. After a little acquaintance with them, we begin to loathe and despise them, and the continuance of those things which we at first admire affords us nothing but weariness and vexation. And if these enjoyments are but uncertainties in their best estate, and quickly give way to disquiets and ungrateful reflections, how vain and deceitful are they when the mind is oppressed with a load of guilt, and the thoughts of punishment are every moment striking a damp upon it. Our mirth is then forced and unnatural, and our spirits are unable to keep up and support it. And where can we find a wretch so desperate as to drink to the full of pleasure and have a true and lively relish of it, when he knows that the most dreadful dangers hang over him, and hang as it were by a single hair, and all his happiness is held by the weakest tenure, even by the blast of life, and is no more in his power than the shadow that departeth? Surely he must tremble at the thought of the handwriting upon the wall, and his heart cannot but tell him that for all these things which he fondly dotes upon, God will bring him into judgment. Ecclesiastes 11.9 How irksome must it be to consider that his pleasures will shortly come to an end, and will be bitterness at the last, that the riches which he spends in a course of luxury will aggravate his guilt and must be one day certainly accounted for, and that his neglected soul will bring a heavy accusation against him in the time of its distress and draw his sinful body into a participation of its misery. How deplorable is his condition when all his enjoyments are short and transient, and the remembrance of them is disagreeable to him. But on the other side, how pleasant it is so to use our talents is to be able to give a satisfactory account of them and be assured that we have laid them out to the best advantage. With what confidence may the rich man look up to God when he knows that he has discharged his trust and dispenses his bounty according to the will of his Lord and Master? How does he delight to see the cause of religion prosper in his hand, to observe the happiness of those whom he has saved from perishing, to behold the young plants that he has brought up flourishing like a tree planted by the waterside, Psalm 1-3, and to find that all his kind and friendly designs answer his expectation. His happiness is doubled by the delightful view of that of others, and when he thinks with himself how widely he has spread the blessings of heaven, and how many he has made partakers with him, his felicity is heightened at the sight of each of them, and his joys increase and multiply.
And when he permits himself to enjoy his innocent pleasures and to use with cheerfulness those good things which God has provided for him, when he is raised to the highest degree of happiness that can be derived from anything in this world, a surprising satisfaction is darted in upon him, and his heart is filled with the thought that he has something much greater prepared for him in another world, and an inheritance that will be securely his when all earthly riches shall be no more. And if there is any reason to fear the secret worm of a guilty conscience that preys upon and destroys the fairest appearance of happiness, if we have any concern for our present comfort and welfare, we must so direct and govern all our actions that no unwelcome reflection, no astonishing fear may break in upon us, but we may have a true sense of those pleasures that are now offered to us, and a certain prospect of those that are infinitely better." And if they that live in the abundance of all things stand in need of the comforts of religion and cannot but be miserable without them, certainly they that have a smaller portion of the things of this world are highly obliged, as they tender their own immediate interest to make religion their choice, for this will sweeten their labors, divert their cares, and enable them to pass their painful life with cheerfulness. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. 
The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.